The End of the Age, Conversational Meeting Revelation 1 verses 4-6, Revelation 3 verses 10-11, Revelation 7, Revelation 22 verses 16-21 I thought we might refer to these scriptures very briefly tonight, but as I announced that the meeting would be open for any questions to be asked, I will first take some which have been handed to me already. Question, Who are the rest of the dead in Revelation 20 verse 5? Those that are left in the graves when the saints who have part in the first resurrection come out of their graves. Question, does the first resurrection extend to the end of the millennium? No. It says those who have part in the first resurrection live and reign with Christ a thousand years. Question, what is to become of those who are saved during the millennium? They will pass into the new earth, I suppose. Question, will they be changed, or caught up, or die and be raised again? It is not revealed, but they certainly will not die whatever change may take place to suit their condition to the eternal state. Question, we read of the book of life opened before the great white throne. For what purpose would that be? I do not know. I suppose it is figurative, a kind of record of the living who through God's grace are not in the judgment. We read elsewhere of the name being written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the slain lamb. Question, we read in the promise God made to Abraham that his seed should inherit the land from the Euphrates to the river of Egypt. Have we reason to suppose that the present Sudan will be a part of Israel's inheritance? No, it will not. If you will look at the map of Palestine in your Bible you will see that the river of Egypt is a little river quite at the south, which people have confounded with the Nile. Question, who is the king of the south? The south is Egypt. The Assyrian is the king of the north. Question, could you use the word saved during the millennium? Well, those that are on the earth will be blessed. The Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. It is not like saving souls out of a lost and guilty world as at the present time. During the millennium death will be the exception, but the evildoer will be cut off, and righteousness will be maintained by power and judgment. Psalms 101 verses 5 and 78 Psalm 145 verse 20. In Zechariah 14 verses 17 to 19 we find that there will be no rain upon the nations that will not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Question, I suppose it is folly to think the British nation is the lost tribes? Utter folly. Romans 11 tells us that blindness in part is happened to Israel, that the natural branches have been broken off the olive tree, and that the Gentiles have been grafted in and partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree. No one can deny that, as a nation, England is in the enjoyment of all the privileges of Christianity, and that, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, applies to Israel. England on the contrary has been a center of light, and from thence the gospel has been carried into all parts of the world. A desolate house is characteristic of Israel, until there comes out of Zion the Deliverer, to turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Question, please explain what you mean by saints? Well, I had better answer from Romans 1 verses 6-7. The apostle wrote to all the Christians in Rome, beloved of God, saints by divine calling. It was not a question of the progress of any of them, but of what they were by God's calling. People think the saints are an advanced class of Christians, and that it is very humble to say, I am only a poor sinner saved by grace. 
Well, on our side we were nothing else but sinners, and we had to come to God in our sins, but that is no reason for denying what we are made by the work of the cross, God's calling, and the sanctification of the Spirit. A saint is a sanctified or separated person. Christ has perfected forever the sanctified. By the will of God the Christian is sanctified, or set apart, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Christ is our sanctification or measure of our setting apart to God. No doubt we ought to be holy in our ways and walk and conversation, but we must know our place in calling first, before we can practically answer to it. A person must be my child to behave as my child. Another has well said Christian duties flow from Christian relationships. Question, what is the church? Christ's body and Christ's bride and, in another aspect, the dwelling place of God. By one spirit we have all been baptized into one body, and we have all been made to drink into one spirit. There is one body and one spirit. The Apostle Paul in his day wrote to the Church of God which is at Corinth, for then all believers were manifestly one, and parties under different names in national churches had never been formed, so that the church at Corinth was the Church of God in that city. You cannot speak of the Church of God in any city now, for believers are to be found in all the sections. Of course in the sight of God there is only one church, and all believers form part of it. I mean the body of Christ. Question, the body would not include professors? Certainly not. The Spirit forms the body, and dwells in each individual member, and all the members of the body have drunk into one spirit. In the aspect of God's house human responsibility comes in, and you have responsible builders, and how they build, and what they build. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 10-15 Here you may find what is false built in, and what corrupts and destroys the foundations, and the corrupter will be destroyed. The passages I read in Revelation show that the church is not seen on earth after the third chapter, though we have no account of the rapture. At the end of the book we have the Spirit and the Bride say come when the Lord presents himself as the bright morning star, but that is when he says he has sent his angel to testify these things in the churches. The Apostle John is told to write the things he had seen, the things which are, that is the churches as they existed on earth when the Apostle wrote, and the things which shall be after these things, that is after the period of the churches. This division will help you to understand the book. In chapter 7 you find an 144,000 sealed, of all the tribes of the children of Israel, and then a great multitude of Gentiles, who come out of the great tribulation. God will always have a testimony to himself, and, when the church has been removed to heaven, the Spirit of God will work amongst both Jews and Gentiles to preserve those who are faithful and sustain them in their testimony. Question, did the Apostle in 1 Thess 5 mean to distinguish between the times and seasons and the coming of the Lord for the saints? Yes, we find the distinction both in the first and second epistle. At the end of the first chapter we are told that the Thessalonians were waiting for the sun from heaven. It was the position of the Christian church in the days of the apostles. There was no thought that the church was to remain long in the world. Some of the Thessalonians had evidently died, and those left supposed that they would not be in the kingdom when the Lord came to establish it. But the apostle corrects this thought and shows that, as Jesus had died and risen again, so, those who slept in Jesus, God would bring with him on his return. Then he explains the order of events, that the Lord would descend into the air, and the dead in Christ would rise first, and then the living would be changed and caught up together with those who slept to meet the Lord in the air. Question, 
Why is it called the secret rapture? Because the world will not see it. When Christ appears in glory, every eye shall see him, and those who pierced him shall look on him whom they pierced, but this passage does not speak of his appearing in glory or his manifestation in judgment to the world, but of his descent into the air to take the saints up to meet him there. In the fifth chapter the apostle does speak of the day of the Lord, when he appears, which will come as a thief in the night on those in darkness in the world. In the second epistle, the saints supposed that the tribulation they were enduring at the hand of their enemies was the tribulation which would precede and usher in the day of the Lord, but in chapter 2 the apostle shows them their mistake, because the saints would be gathered to Christ, and the apostasy or falling away would take place, and the man of sin would be revealed, before the day could come. It is evident from verse 7 that what hinders the revelation of the man of sin will be taken out of the way, and I judge this refers to the presence in the church of the Holy Ghost, who will cease to be a hindering power when the church is translated to heaven. It is also clear from Revelation 12 that the devil will be cast out of heaven and vent all his wrath, not on the church which has been translated to heaven, but on the godly Jewish remnant. Question, do you mean to say that the devil is in heaven now? I do. In Ephesians 6 we are told that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against wicked spirits in heavenly places. He is called the accuser of our brethren. In the book of Job we see clearly that he had liberty to present himself before God amongst the angels. Question, I thought he was cast out already? No. The Lord anticipates the future when he says I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Someone asked before the meeting, what would happen to professing Christians after the removal of the church to heaven, and it is a very serious question. The answer is to be found in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 9 to 12. They are spoken of as being deceived by the man of sin and perishing, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, we are told, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth. The history of the five foolish virgins also proves that there is no hope for the mere professors of Christianity, after the saints have been taken to heaven. Question, would you explain the difference between the great white throne and the judgment seat of Christ? Well, the time is nearly up, but I can say a few words. It is plain enough from Revelation 20 verses 11 to 15 that the judgment of the great white throne is the closing act of Christ in his mediatorial kingdom, and that those judged before the great white throne are the dead only. You have only to read the verses to be satisfied about this. The word translated in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, judgment seat, is not throne, but bima, in the original Greek, which signifies a tribunal. The Apostle Paul speaks of the Lord, the righteous judge, giving him a crown of righteousness, and not to him only, but to all them also who love his appearing. We have already seen that the saints are caught up to meet the Lord, and will be changed in an instant when he descends into the air, and it is plain that their places in the kingdom must be settled according to righteousness, before they come out with him after the marriage supper of the Lamb, in Revelation 19 so that the important difference between the great white throne and the saints appearing before the judgment seat of Christ is, that the former is a judgment of the dead as to their persons, by their works, and the penal consequence is eternal perdition. The latter is not a judgment of the persons of believers for they will be there in glorified bodies like Christ, and there can be no penal consequences, for Christ has borne all their sins, and all the penal consequences attaching to them. But there will be righteous awards for the things done in the body. Not a cup of cold water given in the name of a disciple will lose its reward. All that has been of Christ will be owned by him, 
and for all that has been of the flesh we shall suffer loss. All will not have the same place in the kingdom, though all will be like Christ in glory, as the result of sovereign love and grace and the work of Christ. But each Christian lives his own individual life and is responsible for his own acts and each will be rewarded according to his own deeds. The poor widow who put her two mites into the treasury will get her reward, and the martyrs who were burnt at the stake will get theirs. Good works ought to characterize Christians, though love should be the motive and spring of everything done to Christ or his people, yet the knowledge of his recognition of all service to himself in his day acts as an encouragement and a stimulant in this heartless and selfish world. Look at the various promises of reward to encourage the Lord's people in the addresses to the churches in Revelation 3 and 4. But we must never confound the good deeds of the saints with what people often call good works, as if it were possible for unconverted persons to please God in one single thing. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. But when truly converted to God and sealed by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. A person who thinks he can have any part in saving himself will be damned, for Christ must have all the glory of saving the sinner and bringing us into glory. Question, can a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ lose eternal life and be lost? I will give you the Lord's own words in reply, in John 10 my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. If you believe that one who has been redeemed by Christ's blood, and sealed by the Spirit can be lost, you must believe that Satan is stronger than God, Father, Son, and Spirit, for all three persons are engaged in the salvation of each lost soul. But you say cannot I do anything wrong? Yes indeed. There is nothing bad we might not do if we had not a great high priest to minister grace to help us in time of need, and an advocate with the Father to pray for us and restore us if we sin. The blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. It never loses its value, and the advocacy of Jesus Christ the righteous never ceases. He is able to save to the uttermost those that come to God by him seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Scripture exhorts us not to sin, and we have no excuse for sinning, because there is a throne of grace for us where grace is being continually ministered and the Spirit is power with us, and in us if ungrieved. Nevertheless, provision is made for sin. If any man sin, it does not say, as some people seem to think it says, he will become a child of the devil and fall into hell, but we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. He is our righteousness and never changes, and he it is who, as our advocate, maintains us in a state suited to the standing we have in him, and restores our souls if we sin and get out of communion. May the Lord abundantly bless what has been before us, and grant that we may be found waiting for the Son from heaven, even Jesus, our Deliverer from coming wrath. Guernsey.woh Wardley, Trinity Square Jersey.wfe Filial, 69 Hockett Place, St. Heliers. London.Tract Depot, 20 Paternoster Square. Edinburgh.Tract Depot, 7 Bristol Place.